You're listening to the O'Reilly Radar Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Webb. This week, I chat with Timony West, the principal designer at Unity Labs, where she specializes in virtual reality user experience. We talk about VR, the UX hurdles designers are tackling, what will drive mainstream adoption, and what we can expect from VR in the future. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Radar Podcast, Timony. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start a little bit with your background. You're the principal designer at Unity Labs and focusing on new tools for VR right now, but you got your start in English medieval and Renaissance lit mm-hmm. and your career kicked off at the State Department. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so it, it's to make a long story short, uh, when I graduated from high school in 1998, I didn't really know that you could get paid to make websites, even though I was already making websites. And I really wish if I could go back in time, I would tell myself to go and, you know, make up a little company and charge a lot more money. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but at some point I realized that you could do that, but the college I was at didn't really have an, a good design degree. And so I was already making sites uh, and, and charging people for them by the time I was 20. I thought, well, you know, I'm in college. There's no real career. There's no, there's nothing for me to study at the college I was at, the design degree was largely still uh, print. So I thought, well, this is my last chance to really study medieval lit. So I actually went out of my way to try to explore something that I knew I would never probably study again in my life. But at that point, I'd, by the time I graduated from college, I'd been making websites professionally for a few years and then went to the State Department and made websites for them and then uh, went on to a branding agency and then moved out to San Francisco. And and so what got you interested in VR? Um I had tried VR before at a couple of different conferences, usually using the DK1 or the DK2. And honestly, the DK2 made me pretty sick. I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to to maintain staying in it for any long periods of time. And a lot of it was still uh, head tracking selection, which is not a particularly useful long-term way of, of navigating certain types of VR experiences. But then I, with this new crop of VR headsets with the motion tracking and with the... Um, with the full room tracking, I was like, this this is it. We've done it. Let's get on board. You know, I'd always assumed in the end VR and AR would be the future, would be what we'd be going towards. And I I, I was just really happy to learn that now is the time we're actually starting to, to make it a reality. So, hmm. And the DK1 was a precursor to the Oculus Rift or? Yes, exactly. So the DK1 original development kit one came out in 2012, I think. And then the DK2s are fairly common. I think still to this day, people are still developing on them, unfortunately. So I feel bad for them, but, but at least <laughs> the, the new Rifts are dropping in a couple of weeks. So then hopefully everyone can have a, a high quality headset. Right. And you've been doing a lot of user testing at your lab at Unity. And you wrote a, a post recently on Medium uh, mm-hmm. about this topic, but what are some of the main UX hurdles for designers and developers in the VR space? So um, there's been a lot of discussion around the, the very basic stuff in VR, uh, like having um, what, how proprioception works in VR when you can't see your body, maintaining specific frame rates, um, how, how to avoid occlusion, and, and so on. So, And that's true whether or not you're a developer or a designer, so I won't focus on that too much. The, the biggest UX challenges that I've seen that, or that people are tackling in various different ways are, A, locomotion. How do you move around a space if the space is larger than the physical space you have available to you? If you're going to use some sort of movement mechanic to move the user's camera forward, how do you do that without getting them sick? There's a couple of really brilliant 
brilliant uh, solutions to this out already. So I think long term, maybe that won't be so much of a big issue as it will be just you deciding which one you want to go with. Do you want to use blink locomotion? Do you want to have sort of a slow moving track? Do you want to have sort of a portal like mechanism and so on? Um, another big one is how do you interact with objects in the world? So obviously you can use the triggers to grab in a lot of different VR experiences right now, but um, having things like uh, secondary hotkeys, like if you want to interact with something in a slightly different way, like what is the equivalent of the alt key in VR? That's something that comes up a lot in my particular line of work because we're taking a very complicated piece of software and trying to translate it into VR. Um, so that's a big one. A lot around button mappings because no one has used controllers like these before. The Oculus Touch controllers are a bit more like a conventional game controller, but the Vive controllers definitely have a fairly new interaction, having grip buttons on the side and having the thumb pads that you can use as sort of a secondary radio menu. So teaching people how to use that or figuring out when it's best to use those type of interactions and it's all new now and there's no there's no standardization nor do i think there should be at this point but just trying to set things up so that people can smoothly move into interacting in your particular world i think is like one of the biggest hurdles for if you're making a game or if you're making an experience or if you're making an app or whatever it is you're making for vr so right now there's a lot of um special controllers that have huge text instructions next to them like point <laughs> point here click here swipe your thumb right here, right here, look at the arrow right here. <laughs> and even then people don't necessarily get it. But you know, one of my favorite uh, anecdotes about teaching people how to use um, hardware, new hardware, is from, it was this video from the 90s that Microsoft put out about how to use a mouse. And right, or sorry, it was Apple. Apple put out this video. And when you see Apple now, they're like, oh, it's intuitive and magic. And they really pride themselves on this notion that everything they've, they're creating is a sort of like, ancestral memory-based gesture thing, right? Where we all just instinctively know how to do it from birth. And we will, but the, 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 it's good to remember that there was a point when you had to put out an instructional video on how anyone could use a mouse, even if it's, it seems intuitive now. And what were the instructions like? <laughs> it was like... <laughs> grip you know, here <laughs> yeah exactly it's like now when you want to move like okay for example like if you hold down the um which you don't know which button you're supposed to use right the left or the right one or maybe at right. the time no i think at that time they they must have only had one right i think when they first came out they just had one yeah yeah but i think this was even older than that i'll see if i can find it well it doesn't matter anyway the point is you see the mouse it doesn't necessarily seem obvious that if you click on something and then release that you have let go of that item. Because sometimes you click on something and it is selected, and then it will move with your mouse regardless of whether or not you have lifted up your finger or not, right? Like right. you have to make a choice when you select it. Does it now attached to your hand? You have to toggle off to unselect it or unmove it. So basic stuff like that. And we've sort of come up with standards now, like you click on something and keep your finger down to keep it held, to, to keep that verb alive. But back in the day, it could have gone either way, right? Right, right. And so it's looking like um, VR is going to hit mainstream consumers in a meaningful way this year in 2016, at, at least in gaming. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is going to drive adoption? What What's it going to take for a company to succeed in this space? Hmm. So I've shown off a lot of demos to ordinary people or friends. I had my parents come in and my brothers come in, none of whom do anything uh, related to technology. Um, the gear stuff is fairly compelling, especially little kids love it. But when people try out things like Fantastic Contraption or Tilt Brush, where they're actively creating and they're actually actively 
manipulating and sort of making their own space in the world. That seems to be when people get the most excited and the most, I feel like they, then they think they have some part of it or some ownership. They're not just looking at a beautiful scene. You can play a lot of video games and never feel and never have it occur to you that you can make a video game, right? So when you have these creation tools, then I think people really feel like they could do something with it, they could own it. And I think that at least so far, I think is the 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 cliff on, you know, that the thing that tumbles you over that cliff into actually considering maybe dropping $2,000 on a on a VR headset right. and computer. So, I mean, it's, it is it is a lot of money right now. On the other hand, you know, I'm carrying around like a $700 tiny computer in my pocket all the time. So exactly. clearly people get used to it. Yeah, they get used to it. So that's, yeah, what, what I've seen so far, the thing that gets, okay, for example, last week we, or the week before we had some people in um, shooting a video and one of the producers on the team had never used VR before and they were encouraging her to try it out as, a, as an example of a first-time person who'd never made anything. And she was so worried that she was like, oh, I'm not a gamer. We're like, well, you're not doing a game. Don't worry about it. And then she's like, oh, but I'm going to break it. I, I'm not going to do it right. And we're like, this is a drawing app. You have, there's no way you could mess this up. I promise you. Unless you like set the room on fire, it's going to be fine. And she got in and, and she just kind of, after, you know, a few tentative attempts, she got into it and, and went nuts. Right. And I'm sure she looks back on that and thinks about, about that now as being a, an awesome experience. And so if she had tried maybe a shooting game where she messed up a lot, it might make her think, oh, okay, you know, I was right. I'm not a gamer. I'm no good at this. VR is for other people. But because it was a safe space where she could basically had a sandbox to do what she wanted, at, you know, she ended up feeling really good about what she'd made and, and, uh, and liking VR. So there you go. Right, right. And it kind of goes back to, to the, what we were talking about before with the uh, Apple mouse instructions with, you know, a smooth user experience. Um, people being able to intuitively do things. Do you think VR is going to get to that spot? Like, you know, the the mouse has kind of moved on to the touch screen where you don't, and, and it's very intuitive, you know, little kids will pick up an iPad and they intuitively know that they can touch this and it'll move and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. Do you see VR kind of moving more into that area where it's a little more intuitive to how our, our bodies actually move so that, that there's not so many instructions? Yeah, I think, you know, as, as we standardize controllers and what different triggers on controllers or buttons on controllers mean, I think that all people will start to pick it up seamlessly. I mean, no one has to explain to you now what a what a right click or a context menu is, right? Mm-hmm. But little kids do pick up the, um, the touchscreen stuff quickly, but they don't get more complex interactions like moving an object into another object necessarily at first. They're really good at scrolling. They, they get the home button. But I think even the home button is a physical thing, right? Like even even on the touch screens, you still have some sort of physical like default that you have to go back to. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's important. Um, when I first started in VR design, I was very bullish on natural hand gestures. I was like, yeah, of course. Of course, that's what we're going to put, you know, nail polish that doubles as a sensor and, and have our fingers be tracked in, in this space. It seems intuitive. But the longer that I work in VR, the more I am bullish on controllers because they have sort of uh, very definite and definable actions attached to them. If I make a gesture with my hand, 
it could be a yes, it could be a no, it could be a thumbs up, it could be snapping my fingers. And you have to, those are things you kind of want to do anyway. And having them remap to a specific verb in a specific app isn't always what you want, right? I like to be able to wave my hand without it opening up a menu item. So, but if I, if I'm holding the controllers and I hit the A button, I'd like to know that, you know, the A button does what I want it to do. And all I have to do is move my thumb. I don't have to have use wide gestures or, um, or sort of move my hand in, a, in an unnatural way. That mm-hmm. being said, you know, well, I don't, I don't know, because I think no matter how good the tracking is, no matter how much, you know, with leap motion, you can pick up blocks and move them around, and that's great. But either I'd have to figure out my own sign language that I wanted to use with leap motion and customize things like that myself, or get used to using a basically effectively another form of sign language to talk to a computer. And right. Yeah, I, I, maybe we'll do it. You know, I never say never, but at least at this point, it seems like humans are really into using tools um, for all sorts of things rather than using our hands for everything. So Right. And that was a really good point, too, about, you know, you're going to want to wave your hand and have it not open a menu, like especially when you start getting into interacting with other people. Mm-hmm, exactly. In, you know, so yeah, that, that that totally makes sense. And kind of along that same line, what kind of gaps are you seeing between hardware development in this space and game development? Are there challenges that need to be addressed to bring VR and games into sync? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, well, games can be fun right now in VR for sure. But in terms of processing speed and being able to go super high res, like I think at this point, there are very few computers in the world that really mean that we can do like a 4K um, HMD. This is not my area of expertise, but I've I've read articles and, and listened to some interesting podcasts on the subject. And I know people are actively thinking about it and working on it. But it's a question of having the hardware that can run these things and then having software that is capable of running on these things. And it's a bit of a chicken and the egg problem. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always seem to manage it in the end. Computers are a bazillion times faster than anyone ever thought they would be in our lifetimes 10 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a, that's a uh, sort of stopgap right now for developers who want to create really beautiful and immersive worlds in VR. The fact is the resolution is just not there right now. That being said, you can get presence. You can, you can feel like you're really in a VR space, even if you've got, you know, three primitives in front of you. It's not, it's not that difficult, but you know, if you really want to create these, these uh, gorgeous worlds that we can already create for 2d uh, movies and so on, the hardware is going to need to ramp up quite a bit. Right. And for it to hit sort of mainstream gaming for like, you know, the games like Assassin's Creed and, you know, some of the the big um, multiplayer games to to become a VR situation, standardization would definitely need to be established. I would yeah. Think. Yeah. It's really cool. Right now we've got all these, there's like Altspace and um, VR chat and they're really good at supporting, you know, anyone for someone who's in a DK2, someone who's in a full room setup, like anyone can go and log on and be in these experiences regardless of their hardware, which is nice. Kind of the same way you can be on a chat room anywhere on the internet and it doesn't matter if you're typing on your phone or if you have an old crappy computer, you can still, you can still join in and that's nice. But yeah, <clears throat> the hardcore gaming stuff, a lot of it is a, it's a lot of twitch muscle memory for shooters, right? Like mm-hmm. for the really hardcore ones, a lot even just prefer a mouse because it has that level of fidelity over a, a game controller joystick. And I'm not, I've played a lot of shooters now in VR and they're really fun, but they involve all a bunch of different muscles, right? Like it, it you're not going to be super precise the way you can be with a mouse 
So I feel like many new types of incredible gaming are going to come up from VR, but I don't know if they're going to be the same types of games that became popular uh, using other sorts of peripherals. I mean, in that sense, the peripheral really sort of defines the gameplay, right? Like Super Mario Brothers, you had an A button and a B button, so you could jump and you could run faster and you could spit out fireballs. Once you, yeah, once you got like uh, PlayStation controllers, now you had four buttons and two joysticks, and now you can move the camera. So a lot of what you can do in video games has always been dictated by what the hardware would support. And this goes back again to the controllers in VR. The type of inputs that you have that you can use, it vastly expands the number of verbs that you can have in, in an experience. And when I say verbs, by the way, I, uh, I'm using in the game design context of, you know, You've got to jump, you've got to run, you've got to kick, you you know, et cetera. You've got an attack, all, all the different verbs that, that you can perform. Right. Well, that's interesting kind of looking at it as VR as an evolution in gaming. As yeah, opposed I think so. To, as opposed to trying to fit the, the gaming industry into VR. VR is sort of the, the new, the next new thing. Yeah, I think so. I think... Um, yeah, I guess just, just what I was saying earlier, we had these very specific types of games born out of a, a set of hardware. And now we have a whole new set of hardware and a new physical interactive element to deal with. So. Right, right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the future of VR. Um, there was another post that you that you put on Medium, I think it was last fall, where you said at the end, you gave a little afterthought note that the day-to-day ordinary future of VR is probably actually augmented reality or AR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the difference between the two now? And how do you see them merging? Or is that what you meant when you said that? I, I don't necessarily see them merging. So the difference between them now is that there are um, there's already one fairly good VR headset equivalent, out, not equivalent, but a mobile headset right out right now, the, the gear that you could buy today and, and start playing on today. And there are two very, very high-end HMDs that are both dropping in the next couple of months and will hit the consumer market. There is no equivalently good version of that for AR. Right now, the HoloLens dev kit is out. It is insanely expensive. It's like $3,000. Right, right. Pre-orders just came up for the Meta 2 last week. I, I forget how much it costs, but it's not cheap either. Um, neither one of them has a full field of view. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them uh, has any sort of dedicated controller input. And for the reasons I mentioned earlier, I, I think that's that's not necessarily a good idea. Don't Even in AI, I don't think just your stuff is, is necessarily the best way to go. So first of all, the hardware is just not there right now. Uh, Magic Leap, I hear, is doing amazing things down in Florida, but you can't buy their hardware. You can't even see it unless you, you're you invited. So in terms of accessibility, VR is just way ahead right now. Uh, long term, and I think it will take a long time for VR beca- or AR because it really does have some significant problems that, that VR doesn't around how you map out spaces and interact and so on. Um, hmm. But in, say, in 10 years, I can imagine all of us having hopefully cool-looking glasses this time <laughs> <laughs> that, that we, that we uh, interact with every day. They give us you know, anecdotal information about what's going on or you know, let you remap any given plane and put your email on that instead of using screens. I don't mind screens. Screens are not bad, but I, I do like the idea of sort of being able to customize the world a little bit more mm-hmm. and, and just having that uh, information available at hand all the time. So right. that's what I mean by a little bit more day-to-day, right? You can put, especially for things like education, you put kids in these glasses and suddenly they're, they've got a 3D model of whatever it is that they're studying in front of them. Mm-hmm. And you can do that in VR as well uh, earlier on, but you know, then you're sort of isolated. You can't see your, 
you can't see other people's expressions. It, it's just a, it's a, even if you're in a room full of a bunch of other people in VR, it's going to be a very long time before we had anything like high fidelity 3D tracking to actually interact with people and not their avatars. Right, right. And so what industries do you see coming next for embracing VR uh, outside of the gaming industry? What do you see as the most practical real world applications? Um, I think education will be huge and training of all sorts. And I don't just mean right now, actually, VR has been used for a long time for the military. It is increasingly for medical stuff. Um, therapy is, is increasingly a thing which is interesting, both physical therapy and also uh, phobias, um, mm -hmm. getting into a safe space, treating, uh, what is it called? Post-traumatic stress disorder. I never remember yeah, that. PTSD. Yeah, PTSD. Thank you. Um, but say I wanted to learn how to, I don't know, be an archer. Maybe I would never actually go over to Golden Gate Park and take archery classes. Actually, I never have, but I would put on my headset and pay, you know, $20 for archery lessons 101 and and actually just practice being an archer. I, I hurt my arm this weekend playing selfie tennis too long. Did I go play <laughs> tennis? I'm serious, I did. <laughs> it still kind of hurts. I tried to like pour myself coffee later on and I dropped it. It sucked. Um, so yeah, like it, it brings the world to you, right? And allows you to do things that maybe you would never do. And for those of you who are worried that VR means we'll just sit at home all the time, maybe after I play selfie tennis long enough and I feel good enough about it, I'll actually go over to the tennis course and play real tennis. You know, maybe I'll practice archery to the point that I want to see if I can do real archery. Right. It, I was just going to say, it'd be interesting to see if, if the virtual reality training translates into real life. Yeah, I think it will for some things and not for others. And I also think peripherals of all kinds are going to be huge, right? You want to play a sword fighting game and get some sort of sword, uh, not not just use like the typical Vive controllers. Remember duck hunts? Of course you do, right? Yeah. The gun. <laughs> I think stuff like that is going to be really big for VR. Also, everyone's going to get rid of all the glass objects in their house because right. from my experience this weekend, having glass in your living room is, is not good if you're trying to play selfie tennis. Plastic is on its way back. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so what what about like long, long term? You know, we were talking about um, you talked about education uh, just now. I, I recently read Ready Player One. Have you? Yeah. Yep. And so with the dystopian war torn reality aside, mm -hmm. do you see VR becoming an integrated part of our daily lives like that? Like, will kids be getting ready for school by, you know, gearing up with their their VR stuff? Yes, I do. Uh I guess I should say also, like, I sort of live that right now. So I'm a little, a little biased. Admittedly, it's also my job, but I just got a, a Vive for my house and have used it every single day since I got it. Maybe not for eight hours, you know, but, but definitely every single day. And what, and, what do you, what do you do with it? Uh, right now, uh, we, ha we have a bunch of cool demos. So I try out the demos, um, trying to stay on top of things. What I would really like to do actually is be able to, um, do more sort of network social stuff. I was drawing by myself in Tilt Brush at Home Alone on Saturday morning. And I was like, you know, it'd be kind of cool if there were just kind of other people around, you know, because I'm used to being in the real world, vaguely connected to everyone all the time with Twitter and Facebook and text messages and so on. So putting on a headset right now is, is definitely a bit more isolating. That being right. said, I mean, Oculus is coming with notifications built in, right? Like it will, it will have this from the get go. And I'm sure I will too. So I don't anticipate feeling isolated for, for so very long. 
but I like, I like making things. I, I like building worlds. So that's usually my favorite thing to do. I can't wait to sculpt. I can't wait to make characters and animations. I saw a stop motion VR app a couple of weeks ago. That was awesome. So you had a little uh, maquette in front of you and you could just take a picture, you know, move him, take a picture, move him, take a picture and then play back the whole thing. So much fun. So, so what about long, long term? I, I recently read a book called Ready Player One. You're mm-hmm. familiar with that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the dystopian war-torn reality aside, do you see VR becoming an integrated part of our daily lives? Like, will kids be, you know, going to school by donning their VR gear? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I actually do think that's the case. Perhaps with a bit more AR than in... Uh, ready player one and uh, I, the, the long term like having a has, having a physical headset all the time can, can be kind of uncomfortable so i do hope that the current hmbs people have been making jokes about how they're basically the the brick phone version of the cell phone <laughs> like they're heavy right. and bulky and kind of weird looking so hopefully they'll all be cool looking and, and lightweight and so on in the future but having the ability to um to go to school in uh in any kind of environment with people from all over the world and be able to see things in real time, I think is so it's such a significant over advantage over the way that we, we learn right now. I can't imagine why we wouldn't want to do that. And yeah, maybe you take your children to sort of the same communal space. For example, I don't think everyone would just be plugging in from their houses necessarily for some countries, actually, that might be a good thing, remote areas and so on. But, mm-hmm. um, the advantages to learning by seeing and by being able to somewhat do, I think far outweigh any of uh, the potential disadvantages. I remember listening to a podcast a while ago um, by a new VR startup where they were talking about how you could actually record a lecturer, do their best possible lecture. So everyone would get to see the best lecture by the best lecturers in, in VR. Then that's how they would learn. And then, of course, the lecture would actually be there to answer questions in real time and so on. But you, we could really just have the best of the best um, it, for, for education and, and have it feel real. In the same way right now, I think MIT puts a lot of their coursework online and Stanford puts their coursework online and there's Apple University. We can take that to the next level with VR, I think. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So to close out our conversation, I want to um, just ask a really broad general question that doesn't have to have anything to do with anything we talked about today. But um, what people or projects are you following? What are you finding personally interesting these days? Because VR, you can kind of do whatever you want in VR. I've been very interested. Right. I have some friends who are doing some really cool creative coding stuff. Um, Isaac Cohen has been sending me some of the stuff he's been working on. And it's it's just so much fun. And this is like sort of right of color and, and playfulness and music and, and creating these crazy immersive environments that sort of react to you and react to what's going on. Like the whole world feels so alive in, in these things that he's doing. And I, I love it. So um, practical stuff aside, I mean, I'm working on these like very like ordinary sort of practical tools, seeing, seeing the flip side of it and what people are doing in the art sphere is, is very exciting to me. Um, let's see what else. I've been reading a lot of sci-fi lately that's particularly related to, um, is it the Fermi Paradox? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Fermi Paradox. Why, why haven't we found other life forms and what were the possible rationales for that? Uh, so I read like a whole host of dystopian sci-fi lately. Um, the Book of Strange New Things, Three-Body Problem, Dark Forest, Dark Eden, 
Aurora. There's just like this crazy binge, seven youths of, of like if the world explodes and, and or if uh, Earthings find they have to travel or just decide they want to travel, how do they get into space? What are the downsides to being in space? Can they survive on other planets? So that's, that's definitely been a common theme lately. I'm not, I'm not sure what started it, but if you have any recommendations on other books I should read in this vein, definitely open to that. I just finished The Sparrow. So, um, All right. Well, I, I will make sure to share your Twitter handle so people can, can yeah, give you recommendations. That would be great. Yeah. Um, I think... The, yeah, those are those are the things that I've been focusing on a lot now. Honestly, VR is such a new thing. I, every week we get some cool new demo that is awesome and mind blowing, or has a really cool mechanic. So that that's been taking up a lot of mental energy, but not in a bad way. I mean, I, right. I think it's just it's, it's such a groundbreaking space that uh, I haven't really been feeling the lack of of focusing so much on it. Right. What's the just real quick? What's like the weirdest thing you've seen with the VR? Like people trying to do things with VR. Hmm, or the most interesting, like the, just the craziest thing. Uh, you know, I never actually experienced this, but um, I remember Julie Hyde talking about a VR project she was working on where at the beginning of the project or the beginning of the game, the first thing you had to do was jump off a cliff and commit suicide because, oh the, because the game was taking place in the underworld. Right. And uh, I never got to try that one out, but that always struck me as being a particularly crazy, like forcing people to do something really uncomfortable. Even in VR, you don't want to, usually people get very uncomfortable when there's no ground beneath them. You know, it takes a couple of minutes to adjust. So sort of forcing that interaction, <laughs> I think. Was, right. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. It was an interesting idea for sure. Oh, that's, that is interesting. My very first um, interaction with VR was with a, a very early beta version of Oculus Rift. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to do the, the roller coaster demo, but we didn't have it for the software I was working oh, on at the time. That would so, definitely make you sick. <laughs> yeah, well, I had, um, uh, I forget, it was like a, a little villa in Italy that you could go mm-hmm. walking around. Yeah. And, Mm-hmm. But and it's funny because this thing was up on a, a hilltop, like a cliff top, and it it was I, one of the first things I tried to do was go over. Like I was like it was immediately like what happens if I jump off? <laughs> it exactly. wouldn't let me. Yeah, you just run into the wall. It wouldn't let you go over. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, things to do right now. I mentioned this before, but uh, there's a an Apollo 11. Uh, VR experience. It was a, a pretty uh, well-known Kickstarter. I don't know if you've heard of it, but we have one of the demos on our computer. So you, you're in actually in the Apollo 11 shuttle and there's two astronauts sitting next to you. You're the furthest one on to the left. And so I make everyone stand up and, and actually walk out of the capsule because then you can see the moon going towards you and you can see the earth getting farther away from you. It's a really cool view. And I think I did the demo once before I was just trying to peer out the tiny little capsule window before I was like, wait, I'm in VR. I can just walk through the wall and go look. <laughs> like I don't need to be looking through this tiny little capsule window. <laughs> it, feels, it feels so uncomfortable and people are like, what? You want me to walk through the what? Like I, I can do that? And they sort of shuffle along really cautiously and, and then they get outside and they're happy. But yeah, stuff like that is it, it's pretty great. And I think really um, VR experiences designers should definitely keep in mind that everyone will try to break everything and stick their head in weird places. So, right, right. Yeah, might as well work with it, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Timony. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is great. 
You can reach Timony on Twitter at Timony. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. Oh.